0: Drugs, rock and roll, aliens, and all that kinds of shit Come and join Ozzy and myself, visit osbornemediahouse.com to get special access to, to Come on! What do you say, do you think it's the wildest show on the internet? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Francisca Show Podcast on jewishcoffeehouse.com The show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people I'm Francisca, your host Welcome to the Francisca Show. Today we are doing a No More Silence episode. A listener reached out last week, and I wanted to get her on as fast as possible. Before we get started, there is a letter I'd like to share with you that was sent to me with the subject line in regards to your most recent podcast. I want to share this letter with you because. There is another side, and some people did reach out saying, if these women were elected, there are enough women that are voting for them. So the votes represent the needs and the wants and the desires. And I'm referring to the podcast from last week with Shoshana Keats-Jaskal talking about Israeli politics and Haredi women and the right to gender segregation and that was in response to the episode we did on Jewish feminism with Sharona Eshe Cohn. So here we go. This podcast really triggered me in such a big way. Maybe because for the past 20 something weeks, I've had to wake up with my kids during the night, 11 p.m., 12 a.m. when protesters trample through my neighborhood, screaming, cursing, blowing horns, playing drums for the sake of a democracy. The same democracy where they have the right quote unquote, to come to my neighborhood on Shabbos, stop me in the street in front of my children and yell and curse at me that they are riding their scooters and riding their bimbos too fast for their liking. And what is it with all these haridim thinking they run the world when in reality, no one actually asked for their opinion? Thank you very much. But we stand there quietly and nod our heads because our extremist mentors and leaders have explained to us what the real goal of living is and what we need to strive to achieve, peace. And yes, there will be small groups within every sect who get carried away and do their own thing, and specific people who say the wrong thing at the wrong time, tainting the image of the wider group as a whole. Do I believe that there's definitely room for discussion in terms of how women feel and what's available to them? 100% hands down. And many of the extremist mentors, teachers, and friends make it their business to make sure their messages are reaching those people. Why is no one coming on here to fight for human rights in general? Like say if I said I was on my way somewhere and I came to a street and it was gated off because of these demonstrations and wasn't allowed in without proper permission of some sort, all public civilian streets, by the way, and only until I had to disclose to this male security officer that I was on my way to the mikvah, so uncomfortable, thanks so much, was I awarded an iota of a thaw and then allowed through. Yeah, no one knows these stories, do they? No place or sect is perfect. Everyone has issues, everyone has politics, but for some reason, the rights of Haredim to exist, just like everyone else, is never a topic of discussion. And since no one defends the Haredi side of things, I will just say that I've been to quite a number of mikvaos around the country and I've never had a situation where I was uncomfortable in any way coming from a trauma background, by the way, and I'm speaking for some close friends as well. On the contrary, I was treated with utmost respect, sensitivity, and care. Am I saying it doesn't happen? No, not at all. There are crazy things that happen and people do and say inappropriate things. I'm just getting this very one-sided narrative from the conversation that the Haredi system is so messed up that we need the Supreme Court there to uphold our rights And it's just not fair to make such a general narrative on a whole group of people. And it just sends such a sad and untrue message to everyone listening that maybe doesn't know so much about what's going on here. We aren't talking about a company and their customer service. We're talking about the Eretz HaKodesh, the G'dolei Hador, who we all, yes, every sect and division of people looks up to their G'dolei Hador, honor and respect. We cannot just downplay this land unless you have the flip side of so many women and girls who do not feel this way. Why is someone not coming onto the show and talking about all the women that feel uplifted, respected, cared for in this Haredi sect? I love the show. And even though I'm what this woman might call extremist, I still appreciate and honor the different opinions and ideas around me. Just when I hear a one-sided conversation like this with the Haredi side, yet again, not being able to voice itself, it hurts. It really does. So this is the end of the letter. And this is me sharing the other side of the story. And I thank this woman so much for writing this. I can really feel that combination of feeling like there's no voice, yet there's a lack of women in the sect who are willing to express. So thank you for writing in. And even though you're anonymous, your message is heard loud and clear. Without any further ado, we will go on to the episode. The voice of the guest has been changed, so please be understanding when it sounds a little bit processed and computerized. We do this to protect the privacy of our guest. Here we go. Welcome back to The Francisca Show. Today, we are doing a No More Silence episode as part of our series where we interview and give a voice to Survivor's of abuse. So if this is triggering or this is not something you want to be listening to right now, log off. We'll have another episode next week. Otherwise, I'll give you the mic. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Let's start off the episode. Tell us how your story started.
1: So I am Chabad, like was raised Chabad. I'm not going to say exactly where I was raised, but I was out of town. I grew up in a Chabad family. My story starts, I think, when I was three, so I don't really remember exactly the first time, but based on like my assumptions and things that i learned, I believe my story started when I was three. My grandfather, I'll just come out straight up and say it because, so my grandfather is the person that molested me uh, for 10 years of my life. You know, just to start off kind of like the reason why I believe it started when I was three, my parents left me with him to babysit me like a normal relationship with grandparents and they came back and he had cut my hair. like. Gave me bangs, gave me a whole different haircut. So I believe that was like, you know, like that's him kind of having autonomy of my body. So I don't know when it began, but I was around three. When I was four, my mother said I kind of started showing signs that she retroactively knows about. So
0: Okay, so first of all, take a deep breath. This is an intense conversation because it started when you were so young. Maybe start talking about when you started to realize that that was happening to you. Like, I'm assuming when you were three, you don't have memories, or do you have memories?
1: I don't have memories from when I was three. I have, like, I honestly didn't know that I was wrong until I was in eighth grade. I didn't realize it was a problem until, like, one of those places came, and they were like, oh, you're...
0: Shalom Task Force? Yes,
1: yeah, yeah. So they came to my school. ABC is a safety, something like that. Um, So they came to my school, and they were you know, teaching us that even family members can be the ones that abuse. That's really when I realized I was in eighth grade at the time, just to backtrack of like, kind of like my abuse story and stuff like that. So if you don't mind, I don't mind getting into details. I think it's kind of important to people to hear that, you know, family can do things like that. It was on my father's father. He has a bunch of siblings, so every one's different stuff, we would all get together. You know, we would all sleep in the same house. It was so, so fun as cousins, but that left a lot of room for a lot of us. My siblings, my cousins, and that kind of thing for us to be abused. At night, let's say it was after, you know, let's say it was circus, and it was after the meal, and my grandfather would come upstairs and just, you know, tell us, you know, good night, whatever. He'd give us hugs, you know, rub our back, and those rubbings kind of got a little more sexual in nature, you know, it was, He would come over to us and he would rub your back, just your back for a few days. And then a little bit later, he would, you know, come and touch my breast and slowly but surely make his way down my pants and that kind of thing and he did that to me and to my sisters and to my cousins and you know there's there's a bunch of us he did that to everybody so i have very distinct memories of watching him do it to my cousins or to my sisters which is something that haunts me i'm not gonna lie my therapist has told me it's not something that is my fault but it still haunts me you know that i i watched my sisters being abused i watched my cousins being abused i'm not going to go into detail of their story because it's not my story to share but i will say on my end it's really been painful for me to have to watch that i don't that's super common that there were so many of us watching each other being abused yet no one spoke up no one said anything because he was very 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 powerful a very scary tough man and he raised his family like very strict very everything was super super you know intense with the way that he raised the family so that was really like something that really Caused us to not be able to speak, and I also really wanted to touch on. We have all these awarenesses of like what you should do, how to prevent your kids from being abused, how to talk about it, and I want to say that my mother actually had those conversations with me, which might be hard to hear. That my mother had those conversations with me. If anyone tells you that there's a secret, don't share. That you can't share, you should come to me. You know all that stuff. My mother, my mother is still my biggest, biggest cheerleader throughout everything, and it was always, always I was allowed to talk to my mother about anything. But for some reason, this was something that I didn't even know was a problem, because it's a family member. It's my grandfather. Like, how, how, why should it be something that's, you know, like, why should it be that that's, that's something that's a problem, right? So I didn't even realize that that was an issue until I was in eighth grade when they came and the Sean Task Force came and said that we are, it's even allowed to be family members that are abused, that abuse you, and it's still wrong. So there's so many memories that I could go into of him doing really weird things, like, if I was in the shower, I remember he kind of, one time, he kind of like picked the lock, I believe. And he came in and he was like, I'm going to start taking pictures of you uh, while I was in the shower. And my grandmother heard and she like came and was like, she, I don't fully remember exactly because, you know, a lot of it's blacked out, but she came in and she was like, oh, just let him use the bathroom, he's the bathroom. I was like, i'm in the shower so i believe my grandmother knew i believe that my, my grandmother has like stockholm syndrome with him when i was in sixth grade uh picked up on things i believe because she came to me and said now that you're bas mitzvah a grandfather is not allowed to touch you at all i remember going to school and asking my teachers like is that logically allowed like is that a thing and they were like no grandfather is allowed to give you hugs touch you like you know because that is the normal thing that a grandfather should touch their grandkid and it not be a sexual thing. So that's why I really believe that she knew, but really just did not know how to speak up about it with a bit of Stockholm Syndrome, which I'll get into soon. And, you know, tons of examples of sexual abuse. I don't know how much you tell you want me to get into.
0: As but... much as you'd like to.
1: Okay. So I'll okay. say like, you know, there was times that I would wake up with like blood in my underwear because of how much he abused me and that kind of thing. I just, you know, a, a lot of people in my family have my extended family, not my parents, they've been incredible. I've been like, you know, when they talk about it, like, oh, it wasn't so bad. Like, you know, he didn't, he, you know, it wasn't so bad, like, whatever. And I'm like, I I mean, you can say that, but I did wake up with blood in my underwear. And I did, you know, really, there's a lot. I don't even know, you know, where I'm getting out with that. But
0: They were disvalidating.
1: Yeah, and they still do to this day.
0: Even the ones yeah. who were also abused by him?
1: Yes, I am the... Only today I'm the only cousin to talk about it, to come forward with it and talk about it. And everyone is praises him. So he's not alive anywhere, passed away like two years ago. And, you know, on the family chat, people are posting pictures of him, like, oh, we miss him so much. He's so proud of us. Like open my family chat to seeing a picture of my abuser just in my face, right, saying how much they love him, how incredible he is. And I have reached out to people and been like, you know, that's very painful for me. That's not really a comfortable thing. Why would you and, and they say that I'm hurting them. I, I can't talk about it. Like, why do I have to heal by hurting people? Like, it's whatever happened to me. They're sorry about, but I have to move on. And he was an amazing man. Besides, for that, so why would you? You know, why? Why would you? Why would you focus on something so bad about it? I obviously, think to any rational mind, people would say that abusing kids, it, like the people that were abused, have the right to talk and to say their story. And it doesn't make it doesn't make me just because he had. Good things that he did. That personally, I don't see because I was abused by him for ten years, and that's kind of all I know of him. But I, I don't, I don't even see the good that some people do. But that doesn't give them a right to tell me what I can and can't feel.
0: When mm. you said that you would wake up with blood in your underwear, is that yeah? Was that public? Like, meaning, were you in a room with other cousins and sisters?
1: Yeah, I shared a room with my sisters. To clarify, he didn't. Uh, I don't think he ever raped me. He just, you know, would touch me. Yeah, so my sisters (laughs) were in the room. I believe that I got the the most amount of abuse. I've always been like a curvy, uh, on the curvier side, so I've been a curvy kid. And, you know, I believe that he really enjoyed that. And he just i'm not really sure why as far as what i know i got the brunt of it but i could be wrong people just haven't spoken that's what i believe and yeah so i have i shared a room with two sisters that are under me and we were all sleeping so we didn't really know what was happening
0: and that was in your house or
1: yeah in my house in his house wherever if we were at a cousin's house like any time that he was there he was abusing whatever he got his chance to put his hands on the child he did even if it wasn't a a family member i actually know that he touched my cousin's friend who was a little kid. It didn't matter who it was. It didn't matter. Like He just went for it.
0: And because he did it in front of other people, were there any adults who thought something was off and tried to say anything?
1: No, no adults at all thought anything, noticed anything, because he was such a loving, hands-on grandfather who was, you know, always there for, like, grandkids, like, playing with us, you know, when he would hold us and tickle us, and hold us on his lap for 20 minutes straight while rubbing our back, like, it was like, oh, he's being so loving. My mother tells me, like, she says, looking back, there are so many signs, and it's, she regrets it, and I forgive her, it's not her fault, you know, she didn't know, and there's no blame to her for that, but... She says, like, there were so many signs looking back. She always thought he was such a doting grandfather, when he would go say goodnight to us. And, you know, she wondered, like, why he took so long, but she didn't really think anything of it, if that makes sense. Like, she was just like, okay, he's saying goodnight, and she didn't fully understand what was going on. And there was no other adults that realized. My grandmother is the only one, I think, that picked up, and she was not able to talk about it. Later on, my grandmother, she blamed me and my sisters for causing her husband to cheat on her that we were uh, flirting with him if we were to go give him a hug or something like that so it was you know our fault
0: well i'm so sorry (laughs) thank you okay so you said it lasted for 10 years how did it end
1: when I was in eighth grade, we had that task force, which I, I will keep talking about because I think it's so important that they came, and I'm so grateful for them. They saved me, and I'm so beyond grateful. But I remember they're sitting in school, and they're like, even family members. And my hand, I remember, shot but I was in my head thinking, even a grandfather? But then I put my hand down because I realized, like, I can't ask that in public. And I had it in my head. And then the next time they came over, I believe it was like a Chavez, and they came over. And that night, I was in eighth grade, so I was already in the thick of puberty. And he came into my room at night, and... This time I was awake. I woke up from it. Normally I would sleep through it or kind of dissociate, but this time I was fully awake, and I I felt it. And I, I looked at him, and I was like moving my body, squirming my body, trying to get him to not touch me. I, I didn't feel like I would say no. I didn't feel that like he would listen to me. But I was, you know, squirming my body, inching it, and I made it very obvious that I was awake. And he kept touching me and whatever. And then the next morning he came to me, and he said, "You know." you're not allowed to tell anyone what happened. Like you can't tell anyone about that. And I was like, why? And he was like, well, cause it's not Snius. And in my head, I remember thinking, if it's not Snius, then why did you do it? Like you're my grandfather. But I didn't say anything. I was just like, I was just like, okay. And I kind of just ran away. And the whole job, as I remember was really hard. I remember crying a lot, getting in a fight with my, like getting in fights with my siblings. I was just very emotionally, you know, overwhelmed. And that night I went to my father. He was working in his office in in our house. And I didn't go to my mother because she was busy putting the kids to sleep, and that's literally the only reason. So I went to my father, and I said, I said, Abba, what if our rabbi of the community, I said, what if a rabbi came to you and did something that you didn't think was appropriate, but he told you you couldn't tell anybody? And my father, incredible, incredible father that he is, he he picked up immediately, and he's like, did someone do something to you? And I, you know, I started crying. I told him, yeah. And he hugged me, told me it wasn't my fault, asked me some questions. To be honest, I don't really remember it. All that well, I only know from what he's told me, because I believe that. You know, my brain kind of blocked it out, because it was traumatic to tell somebody. And I kind of blocked it out. And my father was like, okay, he'll never abuse you again. Like, And that's where my parents really were incredible in that. But I'm not going to lie and say that they did everything perfect after that. I love them so much, and I'm so grateful that they believed me right away. But I'm going to be honest and say that even after I came out with the abuse, I still, had to see him every Yantif, every Bar Mitzvah, every Simcha, everything. I still had to see him. He even moved into my community at one point, and I had to see him all the time. In and Shalon Shabbos, he would come and say hi to me, and I was trying to, you know, talk to my friends, and he would not budge until I gave him a hug and said hi, and I had no choice. I was in front of my friends. The abuse stopped when I was in eighth grade, but my entire high school, I had to see him constantly go to their house, which is, I've learned lately, which is very painful for me, that... So I was told, I'm sorry, let me just backtrack a little bit. So my parents told me that they would never let him touch me again, and he never did touch me again. My parents had like a showroom showroom with him, kind of, where he wasn't allowed to be in a room alone and they would follow him around. But people are people, there's only so much you could do. My mother getting caught up with a sister-in-law, as she should be able to, he would go into a room and talk to us inappropriately, try and give us hugs. You know, He was never able to fully molest us because he would be caught a minute later, but he was still able to... You know give little snippets into my ears of oh your butt is too big oh your skirt is too tight oh you know the most painful thing he said to me was that i'm just going to amount to a prostitute which dear grandfather i did not i am a very strong woman now and i'm not a prostitute but you know he would say things like that and try and hug us and you know even after he would smack my sister's butts and that kind of thing but i really thought that there was no more abuse going on that's what i was under the impression of i just found out recently though that he abused other cousins that were not abused he abused them after i came out with the abuse which is extremely painful for me because it feels like why did i come out with the abuse if it was only going to be continued like why did i go through all of that if he still abused other people like okay he stopped abusing me cool but you know i'm great i'm happy about that but like he still continue to abuse. So why is that? It's just something that I'm, you know, working through in therapy. So that's really, I'd say, I love my parents, but you know, there was no therapy. There was no healing from it. It was, oh, you're not being abused. Okay. Everything must be fine. You know, when I was really down and depressed, it was like, oh, she's being a teenager, which maybe that's what it was, but I was also really struggling. And I just want to make it clear, like, I really don't blame my parents now. My mother's told me like, if she knew then what she did now, she would have done things differently, but she, she didn't know different. And it was just kind of like if you want your grandmother to still be part of your life and you still want to have cousins, like, you have no choice but to allow him as to be part of our lives.
0: So you said that night when you went to your father, you asked him about a rabbi as a hypothetical question. Did you tell him that night that it was his father?
1: A few months before that, or even a month before that, my grandmother came to my father and said said to her, you know, she thinks that her husband is doing some weird stuff and if he could keep an eye out. So my father was a little bit like, okay. So he was a little bit iffy. Uh, but when I came to it, everything clipped and he immediately knew who it was. He didn't even ask me. He just said, oh, oh, was it, was it your grandfather? And I was like, yeah.
0: Wow. So I'm still stuck on the part where you slept through a lot of the abuse, where you pretended to be sleeping. Can you talk more to that? Sure, sure.
1: I am a very sensory person in general. I love hugs. I love... Chills, I love, you know, being rubbed. I, I love that kind of thing, and I always have as a kid. So he would come and rub my back, and I loved it. and he was so relaxing. It would make me like fall into a deeper sleep. And he would do it so much that I wouldn't realize when his hands kind of went to my breast or you know, that kind of thing. So I would be either sleeping or not realizing that it was a problem because he was just rubbing me, being a loving grandfather. And often I was sleeping. He would just sneak into our room at night and I would wake up and then I would go back to sleep, like I'd be half up, half asleep. I have memories of just, like, waking up, seeing him, and then kind of going back to sleep.
0: Were you uncomfortable? Did Do you remember thinking, like, oh, this is uncomfortable?
1: Yes, yeah, so much. I would, like, squirm. I remember, like, holding, like, you know, holding my breast and just being like, don't touch there. Like, I remember telling him, oh, only touch my back. But I was a really shy kid, so I didn't, like, I didn't feel like I was able to speak up. And he was a very tough man. Like, he would get people in trouble, Like he'd hit his kids. He, he would always threaten to hit us with a belt. Like, he was a very aggressive Person in general and it was just he was scary so I didn't I wasn't I didn't even have to be told that I couldn't talk I wouldn't talk he groomed me I want to go into a little more of how he groomed me my grandmother on the other side passed away when I was in seventh grade and at that point he had told me that it's not healthy to sleep with underwear and pants on when you go to sleep it has to be off so that you could breathe and he told me that every single night I had to pull it down. And that it was a mitzvah that I should pull down my pants every night. As an adult, in hindsight, I know that that was just easier access for him to abuse me. But as a kid, I genuinely thought it was a mitzvah. And so I did it in my grandmother on the other side's like Every single night, I'd pull my pants down and be like, oh, this is for my grandmother. Like, I would do it in her z'chus. So he really, you know, managed to convince me. He used a lot of yushka and stuff.
0: That's so yeah, messed up.
1: It is. So many other things. I don't want to go into detail because I'll probably give away who my family is. But he had so many twists on halacha without actually, like you would make up halacha and then make this keep it. And I got married like two years ago, <laughs> and my husband's a rabbi, me and I remember talking to him and he was like, I'll bring you this. So like, that's so not factual. Like your <laughs> are totally making this stuff up, which is crazy. Like I'm just more and more realizing like he made up so many halachas.
0: Was this interfering with your social and academic life?
1: So I don't know because I was a really shy kid, but I'm not a shy adult. So I'm not sure if I was shy because of the abuse or if I was just shy and I was abused. I'm not sure. And I didn't fully realize there was something wrong.
0: Do you have friends?
1: I had like one friend, not a lot of friends, which is something that my parents would try to force me to have sleepovers, not sleepovers, sorry, like hang- play days mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, but like I wouldn't want to. I was so shy. I just wanted to be like with my family, which I wonder if it's a sign and I wonder if it's just I was a shy kid and needed a little more help socializing, right? Like we could say it's a sign, but maybe it wasn't.
0: What's your family placement are you amongst the older children or the, the
1: oldest older? of a bunch of kids yeah
0: and amongst the cousins are, were you also the oldest yeah
1: i'm one of the oldest
0: talk to me about your path to healing how did that start therapy
1: when i was in <laughs> seminary i went to israel and actually what's crazy is Just to backtrack of it, before I went to Israel, since my grandfather was very much a part of my life, you know, always there, every simple, everything, you know, at my high school graduation. So I wanted to say goodbye to my grandmother when I went off to the airport to go to Israel for seminary. And for some reason, my mother said, well, she can't come unless your grandfather comes too. Basically, that my grandmother couldn't drive, which I'm not sure why my grandfather was very controlling, so I believe that's why, because she can drive now on her own and he's not alive. So she said that he had to to be there if i wanted my grandmother to say goodbye and i remember like thinking in my head like oh i want to but it's fine like i'll be distracted from going to israel like it's gonna be fine my mother was like you don't have to like he doesn't have to come but i really wanted to say goodbye to my grandmother before i went to israel we're talking a half an hour drive that she would have had to done it wasn't like you know a five hour drive a half an hour drive to the airport so they came to airport while I'm saying goodbye and going on with a friend, you know, we both went together. He was there, you know, waving and saying goodbye. And so that was like kind of my memory, you know, I'm crying, thinking about my family, and there's my abuser there saying goodbye, you know, I'm going off to seminary. So when I was in Israel, it was the first time I was ever a dependent or anything, and I started having nightmares almost every single night of people abusing my siblings. I would watch it in gory detail, and it's very triggering even to think about those memories just because it was like watching it over and over again. And I had a teacher actually that Looked very much like my grandfather. I've showed a picture to my mother, and even she was like, Whoa, they're twins. And he was, you know, one of the favorite teachers in seminary. But to me, every time I saw his face, I was seeing my abuser again and again and again, every single, twice a week, whenever we had him. And I would leave class, and I would have panic attacks in the bathroom, and I just, I didn't know what to do with myself. And at the same time, I was having a great time, socializing with friends, fitting in, having, you know, having a really good time in seminary, while also sleeping maybe only an hour a night because I was tossing and turning, having nightmares, panic attacks. And it was the first time that I really, like, everything kind of started colliding in. Um, I hadn't gotten help, and I was friendly alone. talking, you know, on seminary, or teaching about getting married, and all of a sudden. It was just, it was too much for me. So I had panic attack after panic attack. And one day, after a really hard job, I said, call my mother. I still remember. I went outside. I went to, like, a park in Israel, which is so dangerous. It was, like, at night. But, you know, rock to nothing happened. And I went. So I called my mother, and I was like... I can't do this anymore like and i called her sobbing i was having a panic attack i was like i need a therapist i don't think i'm going to survive i'm i need a therapist but i was in israel and they didn't really know how to get me a therapist my mother was like okay fine like you need a therapist i'll get you one so she found this like online resource it was like kind of therapy more counseling where i could like send voices and that held me through although i did go to seminary during covid here, so i came home early and then i could you know I was back in America, but I continued talking to her for a good like half a year, and she really helped me. She wasn't a licensed professional, and she didn't really, she was not very trauma informed. So some things she said were, she was being very sweet, it was kind of like a supportive friend, but it wasn't, I needed needed therapy, I needed trauma therapy, I needed somebody who could help me heal, heal the whole, my whole, not just the little things that I was feeling. I thought it was fine, and then I got married. I was engaged at 19, and I, I got married, and I had told my husband actually while we were dating, and he he knew, but he didn't realize that I fully hadn't fully healed because at that point, you know, I was like, oh, I'm in counseling, like it's fine, but it, it wasn't enough, and I didn't realize that, and so I got married, and I, everything was fine, and it really was, and my husband is the most incredibly supportive person, but I started getting you know triggers and things like that. And eventually, like a, f- a year, uh, a year ago, my husband said, if I find you a therapist, will you go? And I was like, sure, I'll, whatever. I don't want to take care of it. But if you take care of it, if you find me a the therapist, like, I will go. So we contacted and moved him and they helped me get set up with an incredible, incredible therapist who is seriously has changed my life for the good. And I went to therapy. I go every single week. And I, I really, truly, truly learned how to heal through that.
0: What did you think you wanted to start therapy earlier, like in eighth grade? Was that an option? My parents
1: at one point tried to convince me, and I was like, no, Um, because I said no. Like it was like, okay, no. I didn't even realize like it was a thing, Um, pretty young. But even like when I was in high school, it wasn't as you know popular of a thing to go to therapy. So I was like, I told my parents no because I was you know anxious to go, and that was that. That's it. She said no. Okay, we'll respect that. But there was no, like, maybe she's saying no because she's nervous. Like, let's talk about that, which is a regret. And my parents have gotten other uh, siblings therapy, uh, you know, like after realizing, oh, wait, maybe that was a mistake.
0: Did you act out in any way? It seems like you went to seminary, you you stayed your your same self through the whole time and got married and nothing really came up.
1: So did I have triggers? So. I had done a lot of internal work myself because I knew that I needed a therapist. I had this counselor that wasn't trauma informed, but I did the best she could. And I had told my husband we were dating, so I could say baruch Hashem that getting married did not trigger anything, which I'm really grateful for. And I know that it does for a lot of people. I I think that the biggest thing that I'm working through at the moment is people talking positively about him on my family chats, and all the time, you know, people naming after him. It's it's such a painful, painful thing. It's like we don't need like it's such a painful thing and i understand people name after the good of the person but it feels like a slap in the face to name after my abuser
0: it's the fact that no one around you is recognizing that he did bad things to a lot of people right
1: they say that he got sick he had a stroke which i don't know if he did or he didn't and therefore he wasn't himself although i don't believe that he was a very smart man and he abused me for 10 years you know it wasn't like a, a stroke one day thing and then he realized like you know He was very capable a very capable person when he was doing it maybe at the end before he passed away He was not so healthy, but doesn't mean that he didn't know what he was doing the whole time
0: Your whole extended family. When did they find out? Did you talk about it? And everyone just says what are you talking about? And they're in denial. I don't understand that dynamic
1: yeah. Yeah, sure. I'll go into it. So my father has a bunch of siblings. So a few of like my aunts say, I've spoken to, there's like, you know, two aunts that I really have spoken to about it and they've been really supportive. But the other, the other, my father's the oldest of a bunch of kids. And the other ones are, you know, some of them tell me, I'm so sorry that it happened, but don't talk about it because you're going to ruin my kid's fame. him. It's not so to talk about it if they hear it. And a lot of them I haven't spoken to, I don't I don't know them, I don't feel safe talking to them. My grandmother apparently, apparently, I don't know if this is true, told every one of her kids that my grandfather was an abuser. Um, although I don't believe it's true because my husband actually went, spoke to one of my uncles about it who he was very close to and everything blew up in my face. I was told that I'm breaking apart family, I'm gonna cause people to be divorced, like why am I bringing up baggage? I have to just stop talking about it. Like I'm hurting people, if I'm trying to heal, I should stop hurting people. Every name under the sun calling me a thief, a liar, horrible stuff, insane things. And, you know, there was a whole group call with every parent besides for, with every person besides for one aunt who was really supportive. And even the other aunt who's supportive, her husband is very much not and was on the phone call bashing me and my husband, which is just so painful. One of the first grandkids to get married. So this isn't like a common thing to have a grandkid who's married and have, you know, I guess like a a nephew-in-law, if you want to call it that. Yeah, so there was a lot of bashing and telling me that I'm not allowed to talk about it, I'm not allowed to talk about it, because I was saying that I'm going to write a letter and send it out to all the all the family members just so that everybody can know. A lot of them, their kids were abused, and the kids are struggling and struggling, and there's nothing for them. They're not allowed to go to therapy, because therapy is a big no-no, and they're not allowed to heal, and they're not allowed to talk about it. So I see kids in a lot of, I see my cousins in so much pain, so much pain, struggling with years, emotional health, physical health, everything. and. There's no, oh, maybe something happened that's causing all this pain. Maybe there's a reason that this kid's rebelling. Maybe there's a reason this kid is, this kid attempted to take her life. Like maybe there's something, right? But no, it's, oh, we just have to push it under the rug, pretend it didn't happen, pretend it didn't happen. And I have one cousin in specific who I very much remember being abused. It's like a very vivid memory in my mind. Her mother doesn't know. She's like only like three years younger than me. Um, Her mother doesn't know. Her father does. But her father refuses to tell my aunt and threatened that anyone that tells my aunt is going to be responsible for renewing their strong bias um, and, you know, causing a divorce. And I learned my lesson not to talk about it, even though I really want to. And I'll get into why I think that's a very unhealthy mindset.
0: Did he abuse grandsons also?
1: As far as I know, he did not. I think it was just granddaughters.
0: What did you want to get into?
1: Oh, no, I wanted to say that even that my family is super healthy the way that they view it to the point that I have Archived the family chat. I don't really have communication with a lot of them I, I'm not really willing to be there to have my future children Be near people that will cover up abuse pretend it didn't happen, you know when they know pretend it didn't happen Don't tell people so that the kids keep getting abused don't help the kids heal. I don't really want to have much to do with those people. And if any of them are listening to this podcast, which I don't know, they'll maybe recognize the story. They can call me up. and am willing to have a conversation. But if they're going to come at it where I'm ruining the family and I'm ruining, you know, Sean Bias and I'm the one causing everything and disturbing the peace, then I'm not willing to hear that because I'm not disturbing the peace. The person who disturbed the peace was the person who abused. I'm not disturbing peace by talking about it. I haven't even gone public with it. <laughs> this is anonymous. I'm just, you know, telling people that it's painful when they talk about him in a positive way or name their kids after him. I think that's my right to talk about that. And if they want to say that I'm hurting them, I'm so sorry. I really don't intend to hurt you. That's not my goal. It's really not my goal. But I believe in truth. And even though he's not alive, it doesn't mean that he's a god. It doesn't mean that we get to, you know, worship him. Because that's what everybody is doing.
0: So talk to me about his death. Was that a big moment for you?
1: That was very traumatic. He passed away. I guess I'll just say when he passed away. Uh, He passed away in Yom Kippur. So everybody that knows him was like, oh, he must be an incredible person, because only incredible people pass away in Yom Kippur, which is something that I've grappled with a lot, of not understanding why someone so bad could pass away on such a holy day, you know, when my time is right, I want to pass away in Yom Kippur, like, why does that, why did he pass away then? My therapist has helped me understand, you know, maybe it was a sign from Hashem that I can heal in my own time without feeling like I'm distancing him, from being closer to Hashem, even though I don't know, I don't know how I'd heal about everything, but about my ability to heal affecting him. But that's been something that's helped me. So he passed away. I was in New York, actually. My family is from out of town and he passed away. It was after Shabbos and I get a phone call that he had passed away and it was trauma after trauma after trauma. I immediately drove to where my family lives and I actually drove with like an aunt and uncle so they're like sobbing in the car me while I'm a grandkid like why are you guys crying so I like stop crying we drove through the night it's a pretty far drive and I did not sleep a wink I was awake the whole time just listening to them sobbing and just trying to like understand why they were so upset and I wanted to go to the funeral because it was just you know I just I wanted to go and I also wanted a bit of closure so the funeral comes and he is you know, being buried and I have an aunt who at the time was not married and she cl- tried climbing in with him into like the car and screaming like don't leave me why would you leave me I'm not married yet and that was very traumatic for me because I was like confused very confused why everyone is talking about how incredible this man is so sad to see him go when that's what I had wanted like I'm ashamed to admit this but I did that when that he guy passed away because I thought that was the easiest way out of my pain like the only way to kind of that was the easiest way out of my pain, and so I was very confused, and my mother, my biggest support, my biggest supporter, I love her, she hugged me, and we, we don't curse, but uh, <laughs> she while well, he was being buried into the ground, you know, you're supposed to say, like, nice words, you're supposed to say, like, nice words, she was cursing him out into my ear while hugging me, I'm like, why is everyone, you know all the vulgarities while he was going into the ground, which was so, so supportive of her and really showed that she understood my pain. And as much as things weren't done as perfectly as possible, I forgive her. And I'm so grateful that she's been there to support me and still is there, my biggest supporter. And yes, yeah, so everyone was, you know, crying, crying and everyone saying how incredible he is. And it was very, very, very painful. I was in my room a lot of the time, just crying in pain, not sure how to handle my emotions, not sure what to do. It was a really confusing time. It was a really confusing time. And every Yom Kippur is really hard for me since then. It's it's not been that long. It's been like three years, but two, three years. And Yom Kippur is really hard. I hope one day it'll become, you know, a holy day for me. But for now, it's just trauma and pain and not a time that I could even dive in. I'm just focused on surviving the day for the past, you know, two years. So yeah, it was a really, really confusing time at like his, you know, when they were burying him and the rabbi came up and, you know, gave a speech and was like, oh, he was such an amazing man. He was so great with kids. And I, I was just like, seriously, like, yeah, <laughs> I wanted to yell out like he was great with kids because he was abusing us. But, you know, I couldn't. My family is very strong minded and we're not allowed to talk about these things.
0: Do you ever talk to your grandmother, especially now that your grandfather died? Do you have a way to talk to her?
1: So I don't. I really, I've tried. I've been told that it's going to be too painful for her and I shouldn't try. She is at a place where, I was mentioning Stockholm Syndrome a while ago in this episode, but she is at a place where she believes he is the best person ever and you're not allowed to talk negatively about him. She's obsessed with him. She's, he's like a god to her. Which is why I believe that she's suffering with something. Stockholm Syndrome or something similar to that because she... You know, you can't talk negatively, so I know there's not really a place that I can talk to her about that without getting shut down. And she's very upset with me because I, you know, I, I started talking to some aunts, and I, my husband and I talked to an uncle about it, and I spoke to a cousin my age about it. You know, I spoke to a cousin my age about it, so my grandmother is very hurt. You know, I, I wanted her to know that I still love her. I ordered her like a bracelet on Amazon that was like, I love you forever, grandmother, or something, something you know, sweet just to show her that I still love her. But you know, she said, Thank you, but like. I don't really think that there's much of a relationship with her there, and I hope that there will be going forward, but she's very mad at me for talking about it. Also, it was me and my sister's fault because we flirted out with him, you know, according to her, and I hurt for her. She's obviously in a lot of pain. I can't imagine your, you know, your husband not, not just cheating on you, but cheating on you with your own grandkids. I can't imagine how painful that would be. I don't even want to imagine how painful that would be. So I feel for her.
0: Um, now that you've, hopefully, you have seen... What healthy relationships look like. Have you seen anything between your grandparents that felt off for you?
1: Yes, a lot, a lot.
0: Can you give some examples?
1: So, for one, it was always my grandfather's way—his way or the highway. So, if my grandmother wanted a certain thing, and you know, he didn't—he didn't want it that way. He would yell at her. I remember my grandmother was in the hospital one time, and he was trying to tell her something about a procedure, like she wasn't allowed to do something. He was very highly controlling, but they didn't want the nurses to be nervous, so they spoke and. In Hebrew and he was like cursing her out in Hebrew, but in a very calm tone so that no the nurses wouldn't know and I remember hearing that and being like Okay, I'm not fluent in Hebrew, but I know enough to know that that's not cool So that's you know something I, I know there was weird sexual stuff Based on things that I've heard from aunts that I don't feel so comfortable going to, d- to detail with It's kind of weird to talk about my my grandparents bedroom life But I heard from my aunt that she picked up on it, that there was a lot of really toxic things in that sense I just don't know if I should go into detail. It doesn't feel like my place.
0: What else have we not covered yet that you feel is important to share?
1: So I really wanted to talk about I think there's a lot of a lot of talk on how to, you know, prevent your kids from being abused, how to talk to them about abuse. Mm-hmm. But there isn't really a lot of discussion in the firm community, from what I've heard, about what to do if your kid was abused and how to go about it. People say, you know, stay calm, believe them, which my parents did. But but then what, right? It's like, okay, do that, but then what, right? There's people in pain and there's, it's, it's family. For me, it was families. So it was just so hard. And I wish that there was more talk about that, right? So my parents wouldn't have allowed access, him access to me, which is something that I'm struggling with. Even though I forgive them, it's still painful. I wish that, you know, maybe it would have been, he should go to jail because he's still actively abusing people or whatever it is. I w- I, I'm not a professional, so I don't really know how the outcome should be and what we should do when a kid comes and says they're abused. But I definitely don't believe that allowing him access to them and continuing to have him in their life is the right way to go about it. I really, I just don't believe that. I don't know what the right way is, but I, I just, I really want there to be more conversation about how we can help kids heal from abuse going forward because I, I'm really grateful that there's a lot of discussion about how to prevent it. But there's no about healing.
0: When Shalom Task Force came to your school, did you go over to them after and talk to them?
1: No, I was way too shy. Way too shy. If I were to see them now, I'd probably, you know, want to give the organizer a big hug and be like, thank you for saving me. But I haven't, you know, been able to get in contact with them and say thank you. So no.
0: Okay, so it sounds like your husband is very supportive. What would you say you had to work with him on? has he shown you support in ways no one else has? And what are those ways?
1: Yes. It's a very good question. So my husband is an extremely empathetic person, was so kind and understanding. He was the first person to really help me realize that, no, I did not have to keep quiet about this. No, it's not my shame to bear. I'm allowed to talk to my friends about this. Like it's my story. And if I feel comfortable, you know, with this, then I've, you know, spoken to a really close friend and I've told her and it's been so healing to be able to talk to her and, He made me realize that it's okay. What happened to me is not my fault. I'm allowed to talk about it. And even though my family doesn't believe it that we can talk about it, you know, he actually got in an argument with one of my relatives on the phone, was like, you can't tell her not to. And he was just so passionate he's like such a soft person i never saw him yell until then literally never We've been married for like two years he's just like a very kind person and he was like yelling at this relative like why are you doing this like you're continuing the cycle of abuse like why and he got so mad and it just it made me realize like wow he really supports me and loves me and i'm so grateful for him he really supported me and got on this podcast so thank you to him he's going to be listening to this and i'm just so appreciative uh, of that I've been very patient when I have panic attacks, triggers, you know, just being there for me, whatever I need. You know, when I see a picture pop up on my phone of my grandfather and people being like, dear, dear father, I'm so grateful for you. I wouldn't have been able to live my life without you. Whatever love letters that they write to him on the chat, he's not not on it. My husband just listens to me and allows me to feel those emotions instead of telling me that, oh, no, you can't. You can't feel it. And really has so much patience for me through that. I'm really grateful.
0: That's really beautiful to hear. During the dating process, was it something that came up and was a concern? Did you talk about it with each other? I don't know if he was the first guy you went out with.
1: So he was the first guy I went out with actually. So I don't know what it's like to like, tell someone else and they reject because of that. But when things got more serious, uh, we were talking about things and like parts of our life, childhood, stuff like that. And I said, like, there's something I have to tell you before like, we get serious. Like, I just, I feel like it's fair that you should know before you propose to me. And so I told him and he was so, so supportive. I started crying, which I never cried since. Like I, I, don't cry talking about it. I was numb at a point, and now I'm healed. But like then, I just started crying, and he's like, like you know, he gave me a tissue. He was so sweet, and he actually read me this poem that like will forever stick with me. So his mother actually uh, was abused by a rabbi who was you know considered you know esteemed and whatever. And then the rabbi passed away, and he wrote this poem, and people loved the rabbi. And the last line was. You know, I thank you for your service, but I thank you that you died. And so my husband, he writes poems, and he wrote this poem about this rabbi who abused his mother. And he read it to me, and I was like, wow. It really struck a chord with, that's really how it is. Like, You know, you could say my grandfather was an amazing person. He did great stuff with his life. But And I thank him for his service. He started in the idea of great. It it really is incredible. I'm I'm belittling it, because I don't don't appreciate what he did to me. But it really is an incredible thing. But mostly, I thank you for your service, but I thank you that you died. And I really, like, when I told him, I realized he understood Those complex emotions. And I was really grateful. So I know that not everyone has the same experience as me, but I was very lucky.
0: Do you think he abused your aunts?
1: So I do have an aunt who's only a few years older than me.
0: The one who wanted to go into the grave with him? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Up until a few months ago, I had thought that she wasn't. But my husband spoke to her husband about the abuse. And... Apparently she hadn't told her husband about it. My husband was talking to him. I'm not going to go into so much detail because it would be an hour of the whole situation. But it became, you know, a whole drama. Apparently she hadn't told her husband about the fact, you know. My husband was just talking about it like, oh, this is my wife is going through. He was very close with him. You know, they were like best friends. Not best friends, but like very close friends. Apparently my aunt hadn't told her husband and she was abused. So, two months ago I found out that she was abused. I did not, I really truly didn't think that she was. For some reason, I, I guess I was delusional in that sense. Obviously, she was, you know, she was around the same age as me. Yeah. So that's another side of my family being very
0: upset that, you know, my
1: husband t- talked about it. He shared someone's big, big secret without realizing that it was a secret. So it became, you know, a big drama in that sense.
0: When your grandfather was alive, did you attempt to write to him, speak to him, shame him, ask for an apology, an explanation?
1: Yes, so I actually, I really wanted an apology. I wouldn't look him in the eyes or face or anything, you know, like we'd be at my cousin's house or something, and I'd be playing with the kids and bend down or whatever, and he would stare at me with like nasty eyes, but I would not face him, I would look at him, he would try and talk to me, pull me into the room to talk to me, to give me a hug, I would avoid him at every cost. I did not want to talk to him at all. I, Whatever I could do, I wouldn't talk to him, but I really wanted an apology from him, and by the time I was, I would say, when I was in seminary, I really wanted, like, when I came back from seminary, he was still alive. He passed away shortly after. He was sick at the time, so my parents said, like, at this point, he's not cognizant enough. Like, he won't be able to even give me an apology. I wish I had gotten that. Like, I really do. I still wish yeah, I would have gotten that. More than I think. I wish I could have brought him to court, you know, seen justice for me and for the other victims. But that was obviously not what was the plan.
0: If there's anything you hope for yourself, what, what is it?
1: I hope that when I have children one day, my shem, that I will be able to protect them from abuse. And if Chas Vashem, something happens, then I'll know how to handle it. I won't be a trigger for myself. I really, you know, myself, my nieces, nephews, future nieces and nephews, I really hope that I'll be able to protect those people in the future and be a, an example of how we should treat our children. And I also really hope that, that everyone else in my family that was abused can heal. And I really hope that I'm able to be there I'm able to be there for them. And I really hope that I can continue to heal in a really healthy way and grow from this and use my, my experience in a good light and be able to be their fathers. And I hope that soon I'll feel more comfortable maybe to talk about it openly and not have to hide behind some anonymous voice. Or, you know, I hope that I can talk about it openly. Right now, I'm not at that place, but I hope that I can use my story
0: for good. And you've been listening to this podcast. What made you decide that you're finally ready to come on and share your story? Because you've shared with me that
1: Oh, yeah, I, was t- I had told you before this off record that I had been wanting to go on this podcast a year ago, but I just was not at a place of healing. Like, I had just started my therapy journey, and my therapist told me, you know, she's very supportive, but said, you know, maybe we should work on healing a little bit more so you can come at it, you know, a real place of healing, and I didn't want to like, cry on podcast or something. Like, I think I came at this in a very unemotional way, not because I'm distant from it, but because I'm healed, and it doesn't hurt me as much to talk about it. You know, it's pain, but it doesn't. It's not a visceral pain. It's a pain that, I'll, that I've worked through and I'm working on processing. Um, so what made me is, is I, I feel like I'm in a place of healing. And I know I'm on the WhatsApp group. And it's a really supportive community of people that truly want the best for everyone. I want like, the whole Jewish community as a whole to be healthier people that we don't shove things under the rug. And I think that's really important. And I just want to add to that conversation.
0: You're talking about the the WhatsApp group for this podcast? Yeah. I'm so happy you feel that way. I know people attack each other all the time with opinions people
1: attack each other but overall i think that that's what we are like we're siblings you know but if we're you know we're like siblings we're jews but i think overall there's a a very strong understanding of we should not be protecting abusers at least from what i've
0: seen no you've picked up on that yeah there's this yearning for search of information truth the bottom of things so yeah that we have in common exactly
1: that's that's what I really appreciate. I think that's very important. And one more thing yeah. is I really want, I'm hoping that this can start conversation of how to help people that have been abused and are maybe children and it just came out to the parents about abuse. And I, I'm hoping that maybe there could be a conversation of what we can do to help those people heal because we don't want to leave them. We don't want to leave them in the dust.
0: And the number one, I'll just repeat it again because I, I didn't know this can still exist today where... The ties aren't completely cut off and where you have family members in complete denial. Obviously, it still exists. But if this is going on, we need to shout on the rooftops. We need to expose the people. We need to give the victims a voice and a platform to allow to express what happened to them.
1: I appreciate you saying that. I really do. It makes me I've been doubting if it's the right thing to do to talk about it, you know even just a family or anonymously, but I appreciate you saying that. I, I know it's the right thing.
0: Okay. So thank you so much for coming on to this podcast, sharing your story.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It's an honor that I'm one of the steps of the story because it seems like you're still at the beginning of like that next chapter. And it's an honor that you're using this platform to, uh, to take the thank next you. steps. So thank you. Thank
1: you for giving me this platform. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for sticking around until the end. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends, neighbors. This is a Jewish Coffee House podcast. Check out the other podcasts on the Jewish Coffee House Network. The link is in the show notes. You can also join the WhatsApp discussion group by emailing me. And of course, if you appreciate this work, you can send a sponsorship, a donation, also by reaching out to me. Have a great week. See you next time.